What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hills Are Silent podcast, where we chop it up about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm Two Tone, the artist. And I'm Mitch the Peach. Let's get into it. So, on our last episode, we talked about the best sequels. And by sequels, I don't mean the third game in the franchise. I don't mean the fourth game in the franchise. I literally mean the second game in the franchise. So this is times when a game was released and a sequel came out that just took it to the next level, made it that much greater. So since we talked about the best sequels, we also need to talk about the worst sequels. Now, Mitch... What is one of the, if not the, worst sequel that you've ever played? Uh, this one hurts me to say because of how much I loved the first game, but The Evil Within 2 is by far, in my mind, the worst number two sequel ever created. And I have so much to say about it. Within my gaming friend group, it's a, it's a hot topic all the time. People just trash this game so much. And I want to say, right off the get-go, not every game needs to be open world. Amen. Amen. Linear stories, linear gameplay is totally acceptable. And sometimes preferred by gamers, especially with like you and I, who try to crank out a lot of games. i much rather ha- work in a linear story gameplay so I can finish a game quicker than having to go through and open world and going from point A to point B and walk, running around everywhere when it's just not necessary, especially with a game like Evil Within where they yeah. had a great formula with their linear gameplay of the first game. Yeah, I think horror games are best done as linear games because you're really trying to go for a cinematic experience, something that's story-driven. And I've also played The Evil Within 2, and I absolutely agree. The first game was good. It was linear, but it it had a good, um, a good structure to it. And then when I went to play the sequel, and as soon as I realized it was open world, I was like, wait, what the heck is going on here? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a chance. And the more I got into it, I was like, yeah, this is the wrong move. Why is this trying to be an open world game? So it sounds like you and a bunch of your buddies have all played The Evil Within 2. Did all you guys play the first one as well? We all played the first one, yes. And honestly, some of them multiple times, like the hardest difficulty. So, I mean, it's very passionate. They'll go back to it and they'll stream it through because people just love watching that first game, too. And I want to say people love watching it because of it's a horror game. And I feel like with The Evil Within 2, it really, I think the open world aspect also made it stop feeling so much like a horror game compared yeah. to the first one. It just wasn't as creepy as the first game. Yeah, and it was way too gamey, if that makes sense. Like when I'm playing a horror game or any type of cinematic game, I want to not realize I'm playing a game. And that's what made Dead Space so beautiful because it had no UI elements, no heads-up display. It just was your character in the environment. So you really got sucked into it. But with The Evil Within 2, there were so many real, like, 
generic game mechanics, I guess to say. And I just, the whole time I knew I was playing a game and it just made it hard to get scared. And I can think of one instance where I threw like a smoke bomb or it was like some type of bomb that dazes the enemies. And I threw it in a group of enemies and all of them at the exact same time did this daze animation like in sync, like 10 of them. And I was just like, I'm playing a game. This is ridiculous. This looks like a, a choreographed Michael Jackson dance or something going on here. It was <laughs> There was nothing scary about it. Uh, and with this game, I because I loved the first one, I was like, I'm going to go all out on the Evil Within 2 before I knew what it was. I'm like, I'm going to play this game all the way through on Nightmare Mode. That was the biggest mistake ever. All it did was just crank up the frustration to, to the max. So... Partway through the game, you fight this boss called Stefano, and no lie, I died over a hundred times trying to beat that boss, and I refused to back down. It took me days to finish him. Like at night, I'd start the game up, try to beat him like twenty times, give up. The next day, same cycle repeated. So he's got this lock-on move where he locks onto you and there's no way you can dodge and escape it. And he just comes up and oftentimes, it takes like 80% of your health down. So it's basically a one hit kills move if you've taken any more damage. So I, and I tried to watch some YouTube videos of other people beating it on nightmare mode to see how they got around this move and how they beat it. Dude, the people posting their playthroughs on Nightmare Mode on YouTube are liars. I know for a fact they were not playing on Nightmare Mode. And this is how I know. Because when you're on Nightmare Mode, that boss arena where you fight him in, uh, it gives you, it's like infinite respawning ammo. But when you're on Nightmare Mode, it only infinitely respawns pistol ammo. Like every one minute, like six rounds of pistol ammo will will respawn. Okay. So you have to dodge him for a whole minute. Go if you're completely out of ammo at that point, which you will run out of ammo on nightmare mode in that game. So you'll have to go get this pistol ammo. You'll have like six shots, which barely do anything to him, and then you have to survive another minute until you can get six more shots. When I watched all these supposed nightmare runs on YouTube, they were having shotgun ammo respawn. I was like, nah, man. That's what they Caught give you. red-handed. Yeah, that's what they give you on medium mode. On nightmare mode, you're left with the crappy pistol ammo. Anyway, I, I finally beat him by cheesing the game. So there's this broken wall, and the only way you can break his like lock on is if you stand on one side of the wall and just go left and right. And it's like, it literally breaks the game. The guy like doesn't know how to handle that. So he'll try to lock on you and you can just step to the side and he won't be able to get around the wall. So I had to like use a weird barrier <laughs> to cheese the game. Um, I, I, I think it's a good thing that you uh, you brought up uh, Stefano or the artist as he's called in Evil Within 2 because he was honestly my favorite, my favorite antagonist in the entire game. But sorry for spoilers for anybody who wants to play this game, but you really don't want to play it anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> right. Um, but he doesn't last long in the game, obviously, because you're fighting him, and he's one of the first bosses, is 
in the game. And so once he died, I was like, well, I liked him as a, like as an antagonist. Like he had really like a really cool, I don't know. He had a really cool gimmick and he was really like very well designed. And then the rest of the game, there was no boss that I was like really passionate about fighting. It just, it, the story didn't hold up after that for me. So not only was the gameplay annoying with the open world aspects and having to travel through this large map, none of the bosses or any of the other antagonists aside from the artist who who was the first one, you know, really hit for me. All right. Man, yeah. Sad disappointment. The Evil Within could have been another great, long-lasting survival horror franchise. But it... uh, It's... It's sad because the evil within three was supposed to be a thing, and maybe it will be a thing at some point. But instead, they opted to make Ghostwire Tokyo as oh yeah, which would have been evil within three, but they decided to go into another direction to make a whole other franchise. Hmm. And that game didn't hit either. So yeah, that one I never played. It just. I didn't even I forgot it was made by the same people, but just watching the trailers and stuff, it just didn't seem like something that would appeal to me. It didn't get very good reviews and from friends that I've you know, I have a lot of friends in that love horror games, uh, a lot of people that stream them and they none of them have liked it either, so a big disappointment unfortunately. Yeah. Well, great choice on worst sequel, because yeah, I I fully agree with that one. Uh yeah, that probably would have been my number one pick too. But since you already covered that, the other game that I would pick as the worst sequel ever would be The Getaway Black Monday on PlayStation 2. So the original The Getaway game was really good. It was basically... Well, I don't want to call it a Grand Theft Auto clone, but you could tell it was heavily inspired by Grand Theft Auto. Um, It was a game about the criminal underworld in, I think it was in London. And it was a decent third-person shooter. And I bought it on a whim, not knowing anything about it. And I don't know what was going on that week, but I had nothing going on. And I played through the whole thing. And it was actually one of the first games I ever played that had regenerating health. So that's so commonplace nowadays where if your character's hurt, you go and hide for a minute and your health regenerates. But older games, that was not a thing. It used to be you had to go find health packs hidden throughout a level to restore your health. And the weird thing is, is in the original The Getaway, they don't tell you about that. So the whole time I'm playing it, I'm like, where are all the health packs? Like, I'm I'm dying over here. How do I heal? And then eventually I just figured out on my own that if you go behind a wall, your character will lean on the wall. And if you leave them like that, the blood stains will go away on their body and eventually they'll stand up straight again with full health. But it (laughs) took me quite a while before I realized that. Um, Anyway, it was a good game. And they eventually came out with the sequel, and there was definitely areas they could have obviously improved on, but they already had a good foundation. So I started playing the sequel, and it's not that it it wasn't, it's not that it would not have been a good game, but what bogged it down 
was terrible, terrible camera controls. Those that can break a game yeah, from you, the get-go. You had very limited control over the camera, and it kind of has like predetermined angles for you depending on what you're facing and what you're looking at. And so much of the time, the camera is like facing your character. So how do I aim and shoot at a guy in front of me if I can't even see him? And it was so infuriating that I just couldn't even finish the game. I could barely even get that far in it. I'm just like, dude, this is... Whoever was in charge of the, the camera controls broke a game that I'm sure the rest of the development team spent a long time on trying to make a great game. You know it's a bad game when you or I can't get through the full game. We're, we're pretty good and almost stubborn at grinding our way through even bad games or mediocre games because, you know, we're completionists. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that must have been a bad game. That <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I still played all the way through <clears throat> The Evil Within 2. You Same. know, it was, it was not a good time the whole way through. Exactly. Anyway, that's... Uh, it's my choice on the worst sequel. Now, last episode, like I said, we covered the best sequels. Well, we ran out of time and did not get through our whole list. So we still have some other games that we'd like to cover. So Mitch, I'll let you jump it off. because I think you know a lot about the first game we decided on for the follow-up. Yeah, Call of Duty 2 was our, uh, is another one that... Uh, Honestly, holds it holds a really good spot in my heart. You know, it's a great game when you still have vivid memories of where you were as a kid playing it for the first time. And I remember my time because I believe it was when I called you two as one of I don't know if it, was, it wasn't a launch title with 360, but like it was one of the only 360 titles I owned when I first got a 360. Yeah, it came out really early on. You're right. I'm not sure if it was a launch title, but it definitely was one of the first games out on 360. Right, and so I, I was strapped. I mean, when I first got my 360, all I was doing was still playing Halo 2, which wasn't even a 360 game. So it was it was one of the first ones I owned, and I remember being so excited to play this. And I'd come home from school, and I know it was like my eighth grade year, and you know I, I didn't have to go to school anymore because we already graduated, and it was cool to not have to go to school for the last few days. I'm like, I'm staying up late, and I'm playing Call of Duty 2. And I remember just being up and just being amazed by the campaign itself. I think I really I know Call of Duty 4 was a real big launching point with their multiplayer. But I think Call of Duty 2 was a huge launching point of just their storytelling through a campaign. Because honestly, it was it was it was a great campaign. It was gripping. It was. I don't know, it was it was. One of the only times where, you know, it got me away from Halo 2 and just playing straight up multiplayer because that was like the only game I played when I was in eighth grade. Um, and I was deep into that Call of Duty 2 campaign. I want to know your thoughts, though. Uh, any any good memories with that game? Any uh, yeah. any fun with the, with the <clears throat> campaign as well? Absolutely. Uh, I love the Call of Duty franchise, even though I've gotten a little bit of franchise fatigue with it in recent years i can remember playing the very first call of duty on pc and even then i was like this game is a game changer this is 
leagues ahead of anything I was playing on, on PlayStation 2 or the original Xbox. It was leagues ahead of a lot of other PC games. And this was right at the start of the World War II, um, I guess, craze in video games. There was a... You said exact word. Yeah, craze, honestly. Yeah, there was a several-year period where it was just so many World War II games, which is a great setting because it's it's just this insane time in human history. So it exposed a lot of kids and young adults to all all of what go went on during World War II. I mean, obviously in video game form and but even it probably hit harder with uh, kids than uh, their history class to be yeah, honest. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're getting you're getting through to them more than them just reading about it in history class. Uh, so yeah, I loved the first game and I not only did I play the first one, but they had a an expansion pack or expansion pack called United Defense, which was also really good. I played through that and beat that, and I played the multiplayer so much on the original Call of Duty. That was one of the first games that I ever played a large scale multiplayer, because I think you could do thirty two player multiplayer, and maybe they even had sixty four player lobbies. But I know they at least had thirty two. And having come from Xbox, the original Xbox Live, where no game had more than 16-player multiplayer, to all of a sudden playing a shooter that was double that. So you had these small maps and 32 players just battling it out in all-out war. Uh, it was a very different multiplayer than the Call of Duty multiplayer we're so used to today that was pioneered in Call of Duty 4, but it was still so much fun. And then when the second one dropped, I played it on both PC and on Xbox 360. Wow. And they stepped the graphics up so much. It had, now it had bump mapping, so everything was more detailed and textured and shiny and just grittier looking. I was just blown away by the graphics and the the single player campaign was just this huge epic war story. Yeah, it was great. And then the multiplayer was just refined and, and that much better than the original game. So it ran a lot better on PC. The frame rate can kind of stutter on the original Xbox 360, but it is still a really good port from the PC game. And years later, actually just recently, a few years ago, when I was trying to fill out my Xbox 360 collection, Surprisingly, even though Call of Duty 2 sold a lot of copies on Xbox 360, it's hard to come by that game. Wow. Most used game stores don't have copies of it. Uh, yeah, it took me quite a while before I actually came across a copy. So I don't know what happened to all the copies of Call of Duty 2 for Xbox 360, but they're, they're hiding away somewhere. Because if you think of all the Call of Duty's that came after it, if I see any of them at used game stores or anywhere, they're like trying to give away all those older yeah. Call of Duty's. Because once a new one comes out, nobody wants any of the older ones. Yeah. So like, if you see like I don't know whatever the other ones are, any of the Modern Warfare's or Infinite Infinity War or anything like that or whatever they call the other ones, but like they're five dollars, like probably at the most. <laughs> yeah, and they got a stack like this of them on the shelf. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason, Call of Duty 2 and Call of Duty 3 are hard to find copies of nowadays. And mm. I think Call of Duty 3, I've never really played through that one. 
which is shocking to me. As much as I love the second one, for some reason I never picked up the third one and played it. It's weird because I don't think I ever picked up the third one either, and I don't know why. And maybe it just wasn't marketed as well as, but uh, like, you would think that after you know the success of two, we would have been excited for three. Yeah, exactly. I don't the know. next one I remember jumping into was four. Four obviously. all day. Yeah, that <laughs> brought everybody back. That's right. And kept them to this day. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I, was... I want to kind of go back to the graphics portion. I don't know. You said the graphics were insane, but I'm still playing on a tube TV on Call of Duty 2 uh, with my 360. But it took me a while to realize what an HDMI port is or what HDMI is. And that was like obviously one of the first consoles to actually have an HDMI port. But I never used it on my 360 for probably years after having it because I never had a TV that would even use it. Yeah, same here. I played 360 games for a very long time on a tube TV. And then that was, yeah, that was the, the time of my life when I finally got a flat screen, played a game on a flat screen, and I'm like, I can never go back. Monumental moment, man. Yeah, so, so my dad had a tube TV in the family room and it was so old and I would try to play video games on it and it was so bright and harsh it would it was like burning my retinas in my eyes it it gave me a headache so I could only play games in small bursts and then finally I was like all right I'm hopping on Craigslist I need to get some type of flat screen whatever and then I bought a small 17 inch flat screen I think for like 120 bucks uh, at the time that was a good deal now yeah, you can get time. Now you can get like 50 inches for 120 bucks, 50 inch TVs. Anyway, so I swapped that out and oh my God, it was so much better. And then it just motivated me to play video games on my Xbox 360 even more. After I got that flat screen, I cranked through a whole bunch of single player games and played a ton of multiplayer. But yeah, I can remember trying to play Call of Duty, World at War on a tube TV, trying to play Gears of War 2 on a tube TV. And it was, man, it was rough. Yeah, I always, I always would say though, because there's like a little more input lag with uh, going through HDMI, mm. at least then, as far as, or at least I wasn't used to it, as far as go, or going through a tube TV. So, I always thought I was a really good competitive Halo player, playing game battles with my friends, you know, little like online tournaments, and my gameplay would suffer when I would play through an HDMI at my mom's house compared to playing through, you know, the the three cords, you know, the colored cords on the tube TV. So that, that was the only time where I was like, oh, I love how this looks, but I'm playing like crap. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting you say that because it's interesting. I've heard that that's the case, that there's more more uh, input delay uh, it, on HDMI. Yeah. So, wow, so you actually were able to feel it and notice it. I was. I mean, it was only because I had the tube TV at one parent's house and then like the, the flat screen at another parent's house. So I could, it was like, you know, when you're going back and forth and playing the same game, I can instantly, I'm like, there's something different here. Interesting. All right, so yeah, man, Call of Duty 2. Amazing sequel. Amazing. Uh, the next amazing sequel that I could think of is Alien vs. Predator 2. 
out Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator 2 are PC-only games. And basically, there are three campaigns in both of these games. There's a campaign where you play as the Space Marine, a campaign where you play as the Alien, and a campaign where you play as the Predator. And each one is its pretty cool that they fit three entirely different campaigns from three different perspectives into one game. So I love the campaigns. Um, I beat the Marine campaign. The Alien one is cool because you start out as a face hugger where you latch on somebody and then you literally have to claw your way out of their chest and then grow into a full alien. Oh, wow. And then the Predator campaign was pretty cool, too, because you got all the really cool Predator visions and, uh, and weapons and stuff. And you can, when you're the alien, you can run along walls and just you're crazy fast and just visceral. So the sequel just stepped up the game. The graphics were way better. I think the campaigns were, were more refined. And I don't remember the original game having multiplayer. So I'm pretty sure the multiplayer was only in the second game. And that took the game to the next level. That multiplayer was so good because you're joining a multiplayer lobby and you have the choice. Are you gonna be on the Marines team? Are you gonna be on the Aliens team? Or are you gonna be on the Predators team? And it throws all three of these species into a level to battle it out. And everybody has strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's a pretty good balanced game. Uh, and then if you're the alien, you can upgrade to the queen after, I forget what you had to do, but at some point you can upgrade to even more powerful aliens and eventually become the queen. And then the marines, if I remember correctly, you could get the, the big mech suit that they had in Aliens too to battle as well. So it was just very interesting, very unique. Uh, a game that kind of reminds me of it is uh, Natural Selection 2. Okay. Yep. Uh, but without the like the real-time strategy components of it, because Alien vs. Predator 2 did not have that. But yeah, it's it's a really cool game, really unique multiplayer, and I don't think we will ever see anything like that again. The sad thing is is that Alien vs. Predator 2 you cannot get anymore. There are a lot of old games on Steam or on GOG.com, which is goodoldgames.com, which specializes in selling older PC games. But for some reason, this game is not on either of those platforms. And I don't really know why. It could be that the game is difficult to get running on modern computers and maybe the publisher just doesn't feel like it's worth spending the money paying a team to fix these issues just so they can relist it. Sure. The other, I mean, that's part of it because the game is hard to get running on modern computers, but the other part of it could be licensing as well. It could be that they just don't have the license to Alien vs. Predator and they don't want to renew that license to sell a 22-year-old game that might <laughs> only sell like 100 copies. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's the one that they're uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's more likely it. Um, but that, that's sad. I do own 
physical copies of both Alien vs. Predator 2 and its expansion pack, which I believe was called Primal Hunt. Uh, and they eventually did make another sequel, that, but it's more like a reboot, just called Alien vs. Predator, that came out in 2010. It was released on Xbox 360, I believe also the PlayStation 3, and it definitely came out on PC. And you can still get that today on Steam. Uh, that one I really haven't played a whole lot of. I do know that had a multiplayer similar to Alien vs. Predator 2, so someday I need to check that one out. But that got me thinking, there are a lot of great games that you just can't get anymore. They're not on any digital distribution platform, they're not on Steam, they're not on GOG.com, they're not on the Xbox Marketplace, PlayStation Network, um, they're obviously out of print and you can't buy them in the stores anymore. So really, the only way you can get them anymore is either by hunting down an old used copy of it uh, or by other means that <laughs> I'm not going to go into a ton of detail on the on the podcast less legal means but it is what it is so having said that there are a lot of great games that are basically being lost to time and we covered Alien vs. Predator 2 but there's some other interesting stories that I'd like to go over so Another one is a game that I've been playing recently on PlayStation 3, and that is Clive Barker's Jericho. And for those that don't know, Clive Barker is a horror author. So think like Stephen King, similar similar to that. He's written tons of amazing, scary books. Uh, including Hellraiser is probably one of his most well-known ones. Uh, there's been a lot of movies made from his books, and there have been a handful of games. I think there's Clive Barker's The Undying, which you can still get that game through digital platforms. That's an old, old game. early Late 90s, early 2000s, uh, but you can get that on GOG.com. It might be on Steam as well. But then in 2007 the game Clive Barker's Jericho was released. And this was put out on PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and uh, and PC. Sorry, I do remember this one. Okay. Yeah, my first experience with it was I downloaded a demo of it on Xbox 360. Man, I missed... Demos used to be amazing. And on 360, it had a really robust demo library we could download yeah, they did. all these demos I, mean, I got exposed to so many games that way it was it was free so it was nice instead of going out and renting a bunch of games me and my buddies would just stay at the house we didn't have any money anyway and we would just download like 10 demos and try 10 games that night yeah i mean a great idea because yeah like you said none of us had money and my parents weren't going to buy me you know all these games so it was yeah it was perfect yeah, if nothing else, you could at least play a, a section of a bunch of different games, even though you couldn't play the whole thing. Then you could also go to your parents and be like, hey, like I tried all these games, and this is one that really stuck to me, and I want this one. Yeah, right? good point, good point. Yeah, you, Good selling point. Yeah, and you'd be less likely to buy a game that sucked because you were able to try it. Um, yeah, man, demos were cool. We could do a whole... Uh, 
whole discussion about that. Um, I know we could even go into the magazines that had demos inside them. I think we've talked touched on that here and there, but yeah, yeah. demos are great. So anyway, I've been playing this Jericho game on PlayStation Three, and it got pretty middling reviews when it first came out, but it's not a bad game. It runs really poorly on the PlayStation Three, so I hunted down a copy for Xbox 360 because typically games run better. Typically games from that era run better on 360 than they did on PS3. So hunted down an Xbox 360 version and I've been playing through that and it does play better. And it is, it is a decent game. It's not amazing, but it's decent. But this game was delisted from Steam back in 2014. So there's no way you can get a hold of this game digitally anymore on PC. And there's really not much information on why it's been delisted. So I don't know what's going on there. I think that's interesting because uh, I, I don't... I'm wondering if it's on Clive Barker's part or not, but a funny note because you brought up Hellraiser... Dead by Daylight, which is the uh, multiplayer survival game where there's four survivors, one killer. The four survivors are trying to escape the killer. They actually put the Hellraiser property into that game very recently. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of neat that, I guess once you say that, I don't know if it was his part is why it was delisted. Because it seems like he's still, his properties are still around in games. Yeah, exactly. And the Undying still available as well. Yeah, not, not sure the reasoning behind that. Um, but anyway, there's a weird phenomenon when games get delisted on Steam specifically. So Steam is just CD, or not CD keys, I guess it's just keys. I guess we don't really use the term CD keys anymore because they're not coming with CDs. But, CD keys is a great website, though. Yeah, which is weird that they still call it that because <laughs> CDs are have nothing to do with it anymore anyway so the digital keys so if you get a digital key and you redeem it it's now linked to your steam account so now that game is permanently linked to your steam account but if you get a cd key and you never use it even if a game has been delisted on steam years later you can still use that cd key to redeem that game just like if you've already redeemed a game that eventually gets delisted, it's still in your library. You can still download it and play it, just new people can't buy it and download it and play it. Right. So if you happen to have an unused Steam key for a game that's be been delisted, you now have something valuable. And how valuable that is, I don't know. It just depends on what you're asking for and who's willing to pay it. So... We looked up the Clive Barker CD key and there's a site called G2A.com where you can buy Steam keys and oftentimes this site will have keys for games that have been delisted. And when we checked this just a couple of days ago, the Clive Barker Jericho Steam keys were selling for $450. Okay, this game is is okay. It's not, it is no way, shape, or form worth $450. That is insane. 
that's can, game collecting to like the next level because like you're not even getting a physical copy of this game. It's exactly. just going to be in your Steam library. Exactly. You're not even getting the real deal. You could go. I could go out for four hundred fifty dollars. I could go out and buy a PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty and a copy of Clive Barker's Jericho for both and still have money left over probably. So we check this this link today. As you can see, it is now sold out. Somebody paid that $450 to buy that Steam key. That's that some, someone with just more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. And what are you going to do with that? Like, do you love the game that much? You Did he immediately install it and is playing through it like 10 times now? Maybe I'll check the, uh, the Twitch TV, uh, see if anybody's streaming it lately. Maybe they're <laughs> the person that bought it. Yeah. That's crazy to me. And the wild thing is, is that you can still buy, again, you can still buy a used copy of the PC version. You can go on eBay right now, get the get a physical copy of the PC version for 10 bucks. Isn't that what you want anyway? As like a, I know as you as a game collector, that's what you would yeah, want more I'll, than just a Steam key. I will always choose physical over digital, especially if it's like 120th of the price. Man, that's just, I don't know, I thought that was crazy. Yeah, that is wild to me. Uh, so we got one more D-listed game we want to talk about because this is a little bit different of a story. So this is The Way of the Samurai 3. And this is back up on Steam. This game was only delisted for three months. And the reason for that is that the publishing rights changed hands hmm. it went from uh, let's see here it used to the publisher ghost light used to own the rights to distribute this game on steam and then those rights were bought by spike chunsoft what a name a, yeah what a name <laughs> this is a different publishing company and apparently while the publishing rights were changing hands the game way of the samurai 3 was delisted for about three months and then relisted. The weird thing about this is Way of the Samurai 4 also changed publishing hands at the same time. Both those games, the rights were transferred to um, Spike Chunsoft. But for some reason, the Way of the Samurai 4 never left Steam. It never got delisted and relisted. It just stayed on Steam. So I wonder, wonder why that was. And unfortunately, both of these games were permanently delisted from GOG.com. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I've never played The Way of the Samurai games. Have Have you? No, neither have I. I'm, I'm not super familiar with them. Me neither. They look uh, kind of like, I don't know, a little bit janky samurai, open world samurai games. <laughs> but they might be fun. Look how far they've come now. They're very popular now, samurai games, as we've seen with the uh, with games like Sekiro or uh, what's the PlayStation one that came out recently? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I can't think of it. So uh, I know what you're talking about, though. I'm gonna look it up because I'm. I mean, Neo is technically a uh, samurai game, right? Yeah, that one too. Sekiro, Neo, and. Ghost of Tsushima? Yep, you got it. Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even have to look it up. <laughs> it, 
anyway, we'll uh, we'll cover more delisted stories in the future. That stuff totally yeah. fascinates me, especially as a game collector. And I'm all about like we need to preserve this art. Yeah, honestly, I never even thought about like any of that until you brought it up, and I, I'm really fascinated now as well. But there is one more, technically, that uh, we do need to discuss, and this is one that that I think is uh, it's a funny story, but it's not a surprising one. So Super Mario 3D All-Stars, that is the combination, for those who don't know, of Mario 64, Mario Galaxy, and Mario Sunshine. And they were sold on the Nintendo eShop, and they at least they said it from the get-go, so you had ample time to purchase it if you wanted it. It was only going to be sold on the eShop starting on September 18th, 2020, and then going until March 31st, 2021. So in that time span, you, you had to purchase it from the eShop then, and then they were going to pull it. At the same time, they only had a limited run of physical copies. And as you and I were kind of inspecting, it looks like all the new physical copies are gone from a lot of the retailers, if not all of them. And it looks like they're they're not the prices aren't outrageous yet. So you could still get them for what was it sixty bucks at GameStop for a pre-owned copy. So yeah, much GameStop a new copy at that point. <laughs> GameStop is a pre-owned copy for sixty bucks, which is crazy to see GameStop selling a pre-owned game for the same price they were selling the new one for. And I'm I'm sure if you hunted hard enough you could find the game maybe in like a clearance bin at a walmart or a target or something yeah i i remember on uh, slick deals uh, as we talked about in a previous episode there are always people that will post if there are any physical copies and locations for that uh for that mario 3d all-stars guys and you know and baltimore there's <laughs> this long specific walmart we got physical copies and uh, so yeah, I mean, I did pick up a physical copy before they all, uh, I guess they all ran dry, but honestly, this is a very Nintendo move. I think you would agree. It's not out of the, their realm of, uh, what they like to do as far as, uh, creating that demand for something that, uh, I feel like they didn't, I, they just didn't need to do this. They're three great games. Why not just leave them available? Yeah, and they their article on their support website, uh, this is from Nintendo's official customer support. The question is, why was Super Mario 3D All-Stars only available for a limited time? Their response does not give a reason. It just states, oh, it's just released for a limited time from this period to this period. There's no reason behind it listed. So... Most likely their reason is to boost sales. I mean, FOMO, fear missing out. You got something that's out there for a limited time. Oh, you better get it now before it's gone. I mean, they did that with the the Nintendo Classic Mini the, and a lot of Super other... Super Nintendo products. Classic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a Nintendo move that if we... Okay, how many copies do we want to sell? Right. A million, two million, okay, well, let's print those up and then tell people you better get it now because it's going to be gone forever. I mean, they got me, so I guess it, it works. I I did wait a long time, and I think I only had to pay 30 bucks for it at, at that point. So, I mean, I, I at least waited it out until the end. But I, it's a marketing strategy that works, but I hate that it works, and I hate that they yeah. do it. 
uh, yeah, can't stand it, man. Again, I like I'm all about preservation and and more games for everybody and yeah. And people separate is working on this, right? That too. The sad part is I, I own Mario Galaxy already on my Nintendo Wii still, and I own Mario Sunshine on GameCube, so I don't even really know why I bought this, to be honest with you. The convenience of playing on my Switch, I guess, but... Yeah. Uh, don't feel bad. I I totally um, am guilty of rebuying a game when it's re-released on newer platforms as well. It's like might be a little bit better resolution, might run a little better, might be the exact same, but again, you're just you can conveniently play it on the go on your Switch. Exactly. We have three great games that should be available to all future generations. So Nintendo, man, please just if anything just put it back on the marketplace, the digital marketplace if you don't want to make another print run of physical copies. Yeah, I get the print, the physical print run, but like removing it from digital, like I, I just I don't see the the purpose of that. But yeah, it's weird. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye out, see if they do it again with something else. Oh, they will. You already know. Yeah. All right, everybody, that is a wrap on our episode today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks even more if you made it all the way to the end. You can find our episodes on. Spotify, Apple Music, as well as on YouTube. Mitch, do you want to let everybody know our social media handles? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow us on our Twitter, which is at Hills Are Silent. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silent. Our YouTube is at The Hills Are Silent. And actually, we just made a TikTok that we are starting to post on, and that is uh, at uh, The Hills Are Silent as well. So uh, keep a lookout for that. Uh, we're having fun doing some uh, some shorter some shorter topics that are specific for TikTok that are fun to do. So uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode.